Welcome to the next episode of Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford, where we discuss all things college admissions. Joel and I have been having conversations about college admissions for years, and now we bring those to you. Our goal is to provide information to you, the listener, about the world of college admissions, the processes involved, and the current issues that are a part of the journey to post-secondary education. I'm Chris Reeves, college counselor at the Craft Academy for Excellence in Science and Mathematics at Moorhead State University in Moorhead, Kentucky. I'm here with Joel Ford, school counselor at Connor High School in Hebron, Kentucky. With us today is Mike Piergowski, English teacher at Indian Hill High School in Cincinnati, Ohio, and our podcast producer, whose decisions are never rushed and whose participation is certainly not binding. Not binding. We've got an outstanding episode today, and one that I'm going to have to strap myself down in my chair, I think, Joel, uh, because I'm getting pretty excited about this. I've been delayed the recording a week. And I just like thought about it more and more all week. But I promise to make this as family friendly as possible. We haven't had to resort to explicit lyrics or anything like that. But this is the closest we've probably come. Uh, I've got strong feelings about this. But today we are going to explore the topic of early decision in all of its forms, ED1, ED2, and so on. Uh, But first, Joel, tell us how today is going to work. Absolutely. So I think today's episode discusses one of the biggest topics, and frankly, like we said, controversial components of the college admissions process. So in a normal podcast, as our listeners know, we try and keep things to around 60 minutes, give or take. You know, it just kind of depends on us and the conversation that we're having. Um, But today's topic, there's too much good information to share with our listeners to cut it short, and we do not want to cut short anything for our listeners. So between the information we have from ourselves and from today's guests, we are going to go longer than normal. But unlike episodes two and three, where we made them two separate episodes, today's episode is a mega-sode. Oh, God. All right. It's going to be a big one. The topic's a big one. We're going to tackle all sides of early decision. Uh, What is it? Why does it exist? And does it help or hurt students? Normally, we'd be taking a break before we get started, but not on a megasode. I'm not breaking. Not, not on breaking. a megasode. We've got to get started today. So um, here we go. All right. We've had a lot of episodes lately, Joel, where it's more discussion-oriented and less technical. Mm-hmm. But understanding early decision will take a little education. Um, we need to know what the most common application types are. And, and how they're used, and we need to discuss the pros and cons of early decision. But before we do all of that, could you just, just could you define the terms, and maybe I'll help out a little bit. Sure. So the primary application types uh, that you might hear are rolling, regular decision, early action, restrictive early action, and, of course, early decision. All right. If you're taking notes at home, everybody. All right. Write these down. Rolling, Rolling, regular decision, early action, restrictive early action, and and early early decision. decision. All right. Sorry, Joel. Keep going. That's all right. So rolling application schools will read an application and make a decision quickly. It rolls throughout the year. So as the year progresses, colleges will continue to admit students until space is filled. Uh, There's usually with rolling uh, admissions, there's usually still a scholarship deadline, though, that students are going to want to meet. Right. And some of those give scholarships along the way as well. Right. 
right? Okay. A regular decision is generally early in the second semester of senior year and is the final date on which a student can apply. So these are schools that, that's, that, who, that they set a date and they call it regular decision. And you'll see that as in your research. Okay. Early action usually has dates between October 15th and let's say maybe December 1. Uh, if you apply early action, uh, students will get an answer earlier. If they're accepted, they still have until May 1 to decide whether or not they'll attend that school. So it's still non-binding. Um, early action for a lot of schools, that early action date is often tied to a scholarship deadline date as well. That's usually what I'm working on with kids. The right. scholarship, the scholarship deadline. Some oftentimes you're right, Joel, does align with does align with the early action date. And and, and in a rare case, I saw once a school, I think it was South Carolina, called it early answer, ah. which was the same thing as early action, but I guess it it's makes not, sense. Yeah. I, a little, little complicated for my for my bones, but it was called early answer. You know what's uh, all right. You know what's funny though is Sometimes I know the early action deadline before I know like the, the final drop dead deadline, uh, because like you said, our kids are used to applying earlier and there's those scholarship right. deadlines. Right. Because of the scholarship deadlines. Right. All right. Restrictive early action is is rare. Um, also called single choice early action. And somehow the colleges are allowed to make this rule where a student can only apply to one private restrictive early action school. Students may apply to public schools early action as well, but only one private school if they are classified under restrictive early action. And, and they can apply regular, students can apply regular decision anywhere. Okay. I'm starting to feel like we need a flow chart, but. Oh yeah, I told you, take notes. <laughs> if then, okay, early decision is simple. You apply to one college under early decision. If you get in, you are going to go and you're expected to withdraw all other applications to your other colleges. It's considered a binding agreement. If you don't get into your first choice, there are even early decision two deadlines and students can try again. Right. So the, so a student I had once who, who was denied early decision to Northwestern applied to early decision two to Vanderbilt. Like shot down both times, but hey, hey, ended up at a great school. It sounds like a but it was like a double dose, double early, dose of denial right there. All right, man, look, it's 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 really hard. You could you could probably hear it in our voices. It's really hard to give these definitions without opinions, but but for now, let's let's keep trying to be impartial. Uh, that was the what, and now the why. I, trust me, I have my cynical answers, and 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 I and I always have had a hard time understanding how this benefits students. Well, how this benefits more than a select few students. Um, so, Joel, why does early decision exist? Okay, so as we get started, uh, first I want to give credit to uh, three main sources for this episode: a 2011 article uh, in the Yale Daily News. Uh, by Emily Wanger, a 2001 article in The Atlantic by James Fellows, and a blog from collegiategateway.com. Um, so most of the things that we'll talk about probably have come from one of those three sources. Um, so to answer your question, it's kind of honest, honestly a, a little weird because we found evidence of two different stories. Um, 
Okay. So, so we'll kind of go both ways with it. So in the 50s, one story says that in the 50s, there was a group of colleges called the Pentagonals. Um, and Jeff Salingo's book, Who Gets In and Why, which I believe you finished today, Chris. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did, yeah. He talks about a group of schools called the Seven Sisters. So I'm really not sure if it was the Pentagonals or the Seven Sisters, but um, from what I could tell, the first example of early decision, um, it centered around Harvard, Yale, and Princeton, and they had a system, it was called the ABC system. So, so, so according to the story, they would, they would go to feeder schools, um, feeder high schools like Exeter, Andover, places like that. They would chat with students and counselors, and then they would issue ratings to all of the students. Um, A was a likely admission, B was possible, C was unlikely. Um, And so according to the sources that talked about the pentagonals, uh, supposedly they decided to offer binding early decision so that they could try and get those students before they applied to Harvard, Yale, or Princeton. So the pentagonals being Amherst, Bowdoin, Dartmouth, Wesley, and Williams. Williams. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so they, just to clarify, you're saying that they made this policy, well, allegedly these five made this policy to just kind of get some kids before they locked into one of those Ivy League schools. Right. So ED continued pretty much for the next 50 years. Um, But then in the early 2000s, there started to be a move to get away from early decisions. Um, so, for example, in 2004, Yale and Stanford uh, moved from early decision to single choice early action or the restrictive early action that you mentioned before. Um, supposedly, it was to decrease student stress. Uh, 2006, Harvard, Princeton and University of Virginia all moved away from any kind of early admissions program with the goal of being an example to others. The problem was nobody followed suit. Really? So, okay. So after a couple of years, scrap that, and Harvard and Princeton offered uh, single-choice early action, and UVA offered an early action plan. Uh, Princeton's president at the time said that Princeton's program was aimed to allow students who knew Princeton was their first choice to apply early and to aid the school in, quote, diversifying our applicant pool and admitting the strongest possible class. Um, in an article in the Yale Daily News that I referenced before, schools feared that if they did not have an early option for students, students wouldn't access their particular financial aid packages before deciding to go to other schools who had offered packages. Uh, David Hawkins, who recently was named the chief education and policy officer in NACAC, reported that while Ivy League schools have high yield rates and can afford to cut early programs, non-Ivies have a harder time doing so. Um, so again, it's all about trying to compete, um, with, with the Ivy sure. schools. That makes sense. That makes sense. According to Collegiate Gateway, um, 37 colleges are filling at least 40% of their incoming freshman classes through ED. Uh, just as an example for the class of 2023, 53% of Penn's incoming class was filled by ED. Uh, at least that's what was reported with an 18% ED acceptance rate. The regular decision pool of students had an 8.4% admit rate, Um, and they cited many other highly selective colleges have similar statistics to that one. 
to keep going. Actually, hold on a second. Okay. Sorry about this. That's all I'm right. to dispute you. Their overall admit rate is 8.4%. And that means the regular decision round was 5.7% because I got on common data set and, and looked that up. So, so the 8.4% 8, 8 was the, the overall admission rate. So that included, so, so that included the early decision rate. That included the, that, yes, sir. All that right. included the early decision. Breaking news. Thank you for that clarification. According to a 2001 article in the Atlantic by James Fallows, quote, the more freshmen a college admits under a binding ED plan, the fewer acceptances it needs from the regular pool to fill its class, and the better it will look statistically, for instance, U.S. news rankings. Moreover, the article notes that, quote, from a college's point of view, the most important fact about early decision is that it provides a way to improve a college's selectivity and yield simultaneously and therefore to move the school up on national ranking charts, end quote. That then leads to more alumni support, more dollars, and so on. All right, you getting fired up yet? But, yes. All right, let's go a little bit more. Now, in that same 2001 Atlantic article, there was an interview with the late Fred Hargadon, who had been the director of admissions at Stanford and then went to Princeton as the dean of admissions to help in the switch to a binding ED plan. He claimed that, quote, ED gives an admissions office the best chance to assemble some of the diverse talents, range of backgrounds, and personalities necessary to make up a well-rounded class. He went on to say, early decision seems to me, and this is a quote, early decision seems to me to be the most rational part of the admissions process these days. To be able to admit precisely the kinds of students we seek from among those who have decided that Princeton is where they want to be, is far more rational than the weeks we spend in late March making hairline decisions among terrific kids without the slightest knowledge of who among them really wants the particular opportunities provided by Princeton and who among them could care less or worse, who among them is simply collecting trophies, end quote. I disagree, 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 disagree completely. That's easy. Tell us how you feel, buddy. Listen, okay, with all due respect, I know that this is a well-respected professional. This is it's easy to to make a statement like that in an ivory tower. And and I know that's that maybe that's stereotypical in my mind from where I sit looking at some of these places. But I, I you know why it's so hard to decide who to admit in March? It's because they all had to a chance to apply and they don't have to come. It, this is at, at the expense of students. You're making your job easier, your life easier, all while making the school look better to donors, society in general, not to mention increasing your bond ratings for future borrowing. That's a whole world I didn't understand trying to figure that out. Uh, all connected to selectivity and yield. Mm -hmm. And this is the way. This is the way to get to look more selective, to be more selective, and, and to increase your your yield. I mean, 53% of the students at Penn have to go. 53% who got admitted have to go. So 47%. I mean, I'm talking. You're talking. You're talking 37,900 regular decision applications for 2166 admits. That's 5.7%. They get 45,000 applications altogether. So the early decision round, Joel was with 7,000, approximately 7,100 applications. Right. They admitted 1,280, but that's an automatic 1,280 enrolled. Boom. Right. Just like that. Done. 
18% admit rate. You know, it's probably where a lot of legacies fall. Um, athletes mostly fall. We'll get into all that too. Get all fired up. Let me look back at my. I notes. couldn't tell, man. I couldn't tell you're fired up. About well, okay. What do you mean? What do you mean precisely the kind of students we seek? Like, what what does that mean? Do what kids who can pay? Is that the kind of student you're seeking? And explain to me how diverse the talents and backgrounds are that you assemble. I'm not, I am not an expert in enrollment management, but I've been in the field for years, years, and this is not a diverse group of kids. Not a diverse group of kids. Look all the same, all the same financial support and background. Yeah, there's, there, there are diamonds in the rough there. I, guarantee, I know that, but I'm telling you, just look it up. Walk on campus. I don't know, but... It's not, it's not this whole, here's how we're going to find a diverse world and diverse campus. Let's do early decision where people have to come. Your phone going off? Yeah, my phone Now you got to really fired up, Joe. Oh, come on. I'm sorry. That's all right. Listen, like that doesn't even get, like, again, I mentioned athletes, but it doesn't even get into how many seats are saved for athletes or or, or Harvard's 34% rate for legacies. Like, okay, I know they're not ED, they're, they're early action, but, you know, a 37% rate of admission for, for legacies, which wasn't public, by the way, until, until the lawsuit came against Harvard, and they didn't want to give all that stuff out, and then they had to. And now everybody knows that legacies have a 34% chance of getting in at Harvard, at least during that year. But listen, so even the most disadvantaged kids – who get in do come from CBOs probably. Thank God who do who do good work around the country, but I don't see anybody doing this on their own. And and it decreases the chances of a kid who figures it out by January. It's the exact opposite of what we're what we're preaching. We're really reducing the possibility of somebody without means, without support, figuring out. And, and, and getting into a school like that. So, for instance, in Kentucky, most of our public high schools are small-town, rural high schools. Are you telling me yeah. that they have no chance? I mean, they have a chance, but I don't see how they do it by themselves. I don't see how they figure it out by themselves. Like, like some, a couple will. A couple will, and those will be the ones. Those are, those are the diamonds in the rough. Mm. But I but I, but I, I would say a vast majority – and what we kind of get into in talking about this is, is like, I, I just feel like the gloves are kind of off, Joel. Early decision is, it, in my opinion, my opinion is a is a is a it's a horrible policy, a horrible practice that poisons college admissions. Period. It feeds the obsessions with rankings, excludes students from opportunities, and all while adding to the anxiety and well-being of a generation of students. So that's how I really feel. At this moment, you know who it's great for? Who is it? I have it. I have an independent consulting business. It's great for people like me who who people pay to help get their applications done by November by by November one. Uh, it's great for colleges. We've already determined that. It's great for coaches. Get your teams lined up. Uh, I have a quote. I have a quote from an anonymous source that that when asked about what life without ED would be like, I posed the question: What's a world without ed be like and the first comment was oh coaches won't like that <laughs> coaches will not like that um are you kidding me it's it's a hack system it's a sham practically be criminalized as far as i'm concerned wow. <laughs> maybe that's a little extreme a little bit. but but how but then how can you make a kid go 
Like, what's that? Even like even restrictive early action. Like, how do you like? Sorry, you're not allowed. Like, what do you mean I'm not allowed? I'm on the computer right now. I'm gonna hit submit. Like, I don't. I, you 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 don't have a right to do that. You just don't have a right to do that. So and and then or do these kids really want to go to that school? I bet half of it's strategy. Half half. I bet half the kids out there are picking early decision schools because they're 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 figuring out what their what their best chance. So if they don't think they're going to quite get ED at at an Ivy League school, you know, maybe they're looking at ED at Northwestern or Vanderbilt or something like that, where there's a slightly better chance and they know if they don't get into Vanderbilt at ED, they're not getting in. And by the way, Joel, look it up. That's practically a fact. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a student with only one offer on the table cannot cannot know what might have been available somewhere else. And that's I'm going to take a breath. Yeah. If that's okay with you. So for our listeners, if you want to send hate mail, that is askmrreeves.com or PO. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Sort of. Um, but it, it it's it's obvious you need a break, Chris. You need to you need to calm down. You need to breathe. I ran it on a I previous do. episode. Do you feel better? I mean, you I actually been, do. You've been saving this for a week. All right. I actually do feel better. You've been yeah. saving for this for a week. So um, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more Get School by Reason Ford. back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. Chris, now that you've settled down a bit, please introduce our guest for today's episode. Uh, as we always say, the best part of our podcast is when other people are talking besides ourselves. That's It's true every episode too, Joel. <laughs> uh, you, you, are, you are right, indeed. Um, we have two of the most well-known people in college admissions today joining us. Uh, after their recent book, The Truth About College Admissions, A Family Guide to Getting In and Staying Together, they have now decided for some reason that it'd be a good idea to join the Get Schooled podcast. Rick Clark is the Undergraduate Admissions Director at the Georgia Institute of Technology, aka Georgia Tech, and Brennan Bernard is the college, the Director of College Counseling at the Dairyfield School in New Hampshire and Program Advisor for Making Caring Common at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Rick and Brennan, welcome to the pinnacle of your careers, the Get Schooled podcast. Yeah. Dang. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. This this was clearly a binding decision. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, it, yes, it you was. have to be on. No other podcasts allowed. So you guys, <laughs> you guys heard Chris's rant and you heard our research. Um, and, you know, all of us, we've been in college admissions for years. Uh, so we really want to kind of dissect early decision and, you know, honestly, we, we want to know if you guys think we're wrong as well in what we said. Um, so let's start with just a couple of, of overarching questions. Um, is early decision a student-friendly policy? Does it help all students, some students, any students? Um, is, there, is there any good to this whole process brought by early decision? Let's just start there. Let's start with Brennan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it is a uh, advantageous process for a, a small subset of people, right? 
um, it, I would, I would, I would, uh, I would agree with, um, the, the wrath of Reeves here, um, that, that, uh, it is not generally a student friendly policy. Um, and, uh, and, but, you know, for some students, it does relieve the, the stress of, uh, of they, they experience with college admission, right? They, they get it over with, they know, and they can kind of go back to uh, learning and doing the things that high school students do. Um, but that said, the, the, the equity, uh, the disparity and equity and, and all the other things you highlighted earlier um, point me to the idea that it is not a good thing. Okay. Yeah, I would, I would, uh, I would agree. I mean, I think that's that's pretty fair. Um, and frankly, I think that <laughs> maybe there is another uh, Fred Horgadon out there currently sitting in a in a chair like this uh, around the country. But I don't know. I I don't think you would find exactly that kind of uh, language used again. That seems now a little bit antiquated, to be honest with you. Oh, did you? Okay, so that quote you felt like was a little extreme in some ways. No, I think it's a little anachronistic. I mean, I just think that yeah. now um, most of the deans, VPs, you know, folks like myself around the country that have ED problems. You know, I like to say at Georgia Tech we don't have an ED problem, but you know, it's a whole different, whole different conversation. Uh, <laughs> that they they wouldn't use that same kind of language, right? Um, okay. To to say, oh, you know, this is gonna help us make a more diverse class um, in the in the same way that he did. I, I really think that does sound a little bit out of this current um, era, if people are really being honest with you, right? Um, sure. What I would say is that um, where it could help bring in a more socioeconomically diverse class is that if you know in ED that you have this uh, percentage of commits, and as you said, that's a growing percentage every year, um, you know, you were giving numbers like low 50s. I mean, certainly Brennan, you know, was really in touch with a lot of folks around the country. And I've talked to people as well that are 10% higher than that, too. So, if, you know, with whether you're in the 50, 60, maybe pushing 70% range. Yes, that's limiting a lot of seats. And, and we know that, you know, first generation kids, kids from rural areas, kids with, uh, you know, high student counselor ratios aren't getting the kind of advice to know that a deadline has even, you know, elapsed. However, if they do get that application in in regular, um, if you've got a locked amount of financial aid that's been allocated, or in a lot of cases with ED, not allocated, because those are a lot full pay or scholarship students, uh, athletic scholarships, that is, then you are holding back some money to do, so socioeconomically diversify the latter part of your class. Now, as you said, if you look at you know Princeton, if you look at the kind of Pell eligible rates of a lot of those super selective schools, it's nothing to really brag about across the landscape of higher education. But that is how some of those schools do end up quote benefiting some lower socioeconomic students because they they know that they're not on the hook for you know, X number of dollars where the yield is less predictable, right? And that's that's kind of the counterpart of the uh, down the line piece that he was referring to about in March. If you put out a ton of offers without any inclination of what your yield's going to be, and you're a school that commits to meeting 100% of demonstrated need, well, you be you could be going into the reserves big time 
right? To uh, and and not have as much of a predictable allocation from year to year as your board or whomever is is asking you to. So I'm not justifying it. I don't. I'm, I I agree with a lot of what you're saying. But I also think that's a bit of the flip side of the coin is that, you know, people are looking at net tuition revenue. They're looking at what they're willing to allocate out of some kind of ridiculous coffers uh, from year to year. And ED helps them hedge their bets and allocate that money to sometimes students with high need in regular. That's a good answer. Hmm. I was thinking in terms of like there. So some schools kind of need it. Because they, like, I like the I like the point. It makes a lot of sense if if it's a school that doesn't have the gobs of reserves. So I'm talking about the difference between, you know, the the, the tens. And this comes this is a little bit coming from from Jeff's book, but like the tens of billions of dollars of mm-hmm. of endowments versus just the billion just the billion dollars of endowments. The schools who who can't just meet all need. Period are the ones who, let's face it, in a business world, and we, we talk practical on here, you have to have enough people paying. It, you, can't just, you can't just let everybody in who, who deserves to be there and who deserves a shot when, when no one can pay. Sure. So that's an interesting point. So yeah, I think, tell me if I'm right. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say those are also the schools um, that um, it's the hardest for uh, students who um, are low income to apply to because they don't know that their need will be need will be met fully and they don't have the the opportunity to compare packages and see what other kind of merit scholarships and other other deals they might have um from other schools and so those schools i mean it's it's great for the schools that can meet full need and have the no loan uh packages and all that kind of stuff um for students but otherwise i mean it really it really widens the divide well, the other thing I'll, I'll add, you know, again, just because I, I mean, you you hit on very valid points. I, I personally enjoyed the, you know, the Reeves rant or whatever we're calling it, the wrath of Reeves. Uh, but, you know, the other thing I will say is, um, you know, some of the places we're talking about, which let's just, again, frame this and say are not really the signpost in higher education. They're the anomaly largely in higher education. I believe that the number of first-year students across all Ivy League schools last year was something like 14,000, you know, versus like that's basically, you know, Texas A&M's first-year class. So, you right, know, right. Let's let's keep in mind that this is a small little subset of the of the higher ed picture. Um, but a lot of those places are butts in 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 seats and and beds and heads type of places. They're residential, right? And and they really are going one for one. Versus a place like Georgia Tech, for instance, where if we miss high by 50 or 75, nobody's blinking, right? You're, you're landing a plane on an aircraft carrier, and we'll, we'll figure it out. Like, the line at Chick-fil-A will be a little bit longer, but we'll, we'll make it work because 50, 75 in a class of uh, 32, 50 is, is kind of not that big of a deal. Whereas whatever Harvard's year-to-year class or you know Dartmouth's year-to-year class, I mean, they really are like putting people in and working, whether it be from the wait list or through ED so that they are allocating spots, you know, progressively through the year. Oh yeah. I've seen them pull the exact number of people off the wait list to hit, hit 
exactly 2400 or exactly this or exactly that with mm -hmm. with their enrollment so just for listeners um when you say guess high you're talking about you have to admit a certain number of students knowing a certain percentage will enroll and you have to kind of guess that a little bit that's right and some some years you guess a little high some years you guess a little low well in the pandemic you know of course just totally broke the model last year um, you know, and, and of course this, this bleeds into, you know, a protracted cycle with the wait list. And, and I think you probably saw the wait list start earlier last year, and that's definitely going to be the case. It also went way longer into the summer and that's also going to be the case. But I think my point is that if you lock in 55%, let's just stick with that number, 55% okay. of your class, you're working 45% of your class from there. All of what you said, I think is true in terms of playing the game, you know, trying to not put out more admits than you need to. I mean, you know, that 100% effectively kind of yield that you already start with coming out of ED. But then you don't have to put out, you know, let's say hundreds, thousands more admits and hope that your yield hits right if you know your seats are so limited. I mean, when their in is so low right. uh, on the first year class, they do work on smaller margins and their, their applicant pools are quite large. I, I would just add... Um, you know, to when you were talking about the different types of plans at the beginning, um, the, the two you didn't mention are um, the, the schools that have EA and ED, right? Oh, yeah. And, and, and the way that they then um, sometimes kind of play some funny business with, um, you know, they defer a kid early action and then ask them if they want to roll over into ED. Right, kind of strong arm them into ED. Yeah, um, right. So there's that, and then the other one is kind of the what we've seen a couple schools add in the next last couple of years is the rolling ED. Right, like you can there's not not a ED one or ED two date necessarily, but you can kind of you can kind of decide anywhere up until you know decisions are made um, if you want to transition to ED. Like rolling with benefits or ED with right. benefits or however you want to look at that. Totally. Oh, man. Well, and that's where, like, back to your fundamental question, right? Is early decision a um, student-first policy? Yeah. Is it student-friendly? I mean, probably not well, even student-friendly. It's certainly not student-first, you know. So, so I'm, I, I, I'm but, trying to I, reconcile, like, we talk about equity and access and inclusion, but yet we have have these systems in place that seem to completely contradict that. Mm -hmm. Like as and this is probably just a rhetorical question and comment. Like how can we as a as a college admissions community universe, how can we say with a straight face that we're we're about equity and inclusion? and still have have those systems in place we can't we, i mean we you know we need to i mean and and this is multiple parts of the system right we need to blow this whole thing up and and reimagine it right um and 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 not just the equity piece right i mean also if we yes yes higher ed is a business but if we talk about um students kind of finding the right match and we talk about um kind of students identifying their why, why are they going to college and, um, and, and those pieces, you know, this is like early decision turns this into so much more of a transactional experience, a transactional experience and, and a gamification of college admission, right? Like students then approach this 
with kind of like this, you know, how am I going to use this strategy rather than where do I really want to be? And what am I, you know, what am I hoping for? Yeah. I mean, you know, I've always, I always, in fact, I just finished writing an article for our development, uh, like our philanthropy quarterly magazine here at Georgia Tech and trying to explain like, how do, how does admission work, right? In general. And, and I feel like it's just, there's two fundamental principles. You guys know this well, supply and demand and, and institutional mission. I mean, that drives all decisions, right? So you work off of, and, and I think in that regard, you know, these, these super selective schools that have big names, you know, huge rankings and that kind of thing, like the demand continues to go up, even in the year of a pandemic when, you know, we're seeing clearinghouse data that shows we're down uh, 4% year over year for undergrads and things like that. Those places are seeing double digit increases in right. students applying there, right? So I don't know that we can, quote, stop that. I think, Joel, somewhat to your question, where I've seen transformational change, not in what you have to do to kind of get the class, but the shape of the class, the true, true diversity in all its forms whether that be a geographic, socioeconomic, ethnic, gender, curricular balance, whatever, it's presidents. I mean, you know, you take a president who's committed to it and a board that's behind it, and you that's where you see change. Like, look at Trinity. You know, I mean, you, you look at that Trinity president, uh, follow the Trinity president on Twitter, and you see, like, she is all in on... Um, you know, socioeconomic diversity and changing the complexion of that school. And I'm sure that came at somewhat of a initial cost and pushback from structures, as you said, uh, and tradition, you know, in, in making a fundamental shift and change. And frankly, I'm seeing that already at Georgia Tech. Our president, Angel Cabrera, came from George Mason. He's got a bit of a Michael Crow background because they were together out in Arizona State. And he's already saying we are going to grow. Right. And so we're moving the in of the supply up, which is providing right. access and it's giving us more latitude, right, to to round and shape the class. And he's saying, look, we're a public school in Georgia. We got to provide more Georgia kids access to this education. We we grew our class last year by 170 and we're going to grow it again by 170. Wow. Nice. In just, you know, in two years. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, man, presidents and boards uh, and we've got to figure out ways to get to them. You know, it's funny you said that because we've talked about this before. Like, I don't think before we really started this podcast, I don't think we really realized the 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 influence and the impact of of people in those the the VPs and the presidents and the board of regents. Like, you know, some some things you want to say, okay, admissions office, like change this, but a lot of it is is so far beyond that well and, and oh, yeah. we, i think we've learned that in well, this. yeah, yeah and, go ahead. and well let's be honest right like the beast in the room is the the rankings right i mean that's what that's if you read uh, jeff slango's book i mean that's like that's when early decision really picked up as, as a response to schools wanting to um right. elevate in the rankings and and they were very intentional about the way they went about that and it still drives so much of this process. So if we want to, and and it and it informs boards and presidents on, on the policies and practices they put in place, right? I mean, it's so it's so um, destructive. Let's look at. I'm curious as to 
Well, we talked about kind of how colleges benefit. Um, just kind of a quick review on, on like specifically who, who gets disadvantaged by this. Um, for example, students from families who, who need to compare financial aid packages. You know, that, that, if you know you need to compare a financial aid package, you're out on ED. You're just, you're out. That's not a possibility. You're not going to fall in the, you know, 18% versus 5% or even the 23% versus 15% chances of getting in, so to speak. Uh, what, are, what are other groups of people or types of students you see disadvantaged by? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, obviously having been here in Georgia and, and uh, you know, traveling all around our state, seeing not only you know, students in a lot of these rural areas, but right here in our own Atlanta metro, um, you know, students that are coming out of families where education has just not been uh, a real part of their family, um, you know, tradition to this point. And, you know, these other kids, you, know, you talk to others. I've been to two schools in the same day. They're only separated by like three miles. You know, at the PTA meetings, you know, for elementary school, they're already talking about college matriculant lists at one school. Wow. Right? Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then you go to that other school three miles down the road. And I mean, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like baseball. I mean, like the, 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 the student at that private school has got their cleats laced up. They've got their, you know, chalk on their hands. They are in the batter's box, ready to go before the pitcher even starts the windup. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's ED. And then you got this other kid, man. I mean, he's just like trying to get into the batter's box, just running out there with like, you know, not even every, probably no helmet on. I just didn't even know that the game had started. And I think that that's the type of student that's kind of getting disadvantaged is, you know, for one reason or another, um, they are coming out of environments where they don't realize, like, I'm a senior. I'm just kind of figuring this out. You know, college, I'm just starting to have people really tell me that I have the ability to go to college. Maybe I just took the uh, SAT or ACT for the first time. I'm just starting to, you know, realize that this is a possibility. Well, and now you're telling me, 55% of the school that I'm interested in is classes already filled. And, and those kids often don't even have a coach, right? I mean, like, like look at what's kind of happened in COVID. I mean, there are whole swaths of this country where the, the counseling load is so big and um, counselors are dealing with so much, especially during the pandemic, that, that seniors have never met with their counselor, right? Um, or don't have a counselor. And so they're, they're left to, to fend for themselves. And I found, and Joel, I know, has found that it's hard to even, even if you kind of know what you're doing in a school, it's hard to track the kid down. Mm -hmm. It's hard. It's hard to even find him at this time. Yeah. Well, and you guys were talking about David Hawkins earlier, and you know, I know um, you guys have been really involved there in Kentucky, and uh, similarly, I mean, you look at these kind of counselor-student ratios around the country, and I mean, it's just absurd. And you know, I think right now here in Georgia, we're pushing 500 to one. Um, you know, and that's on that's kind of lower than some states around the country who not to mention that counselor is doing a bazillion other, you know, responsibilities and things in addition to the, the college piece. You're going to need to stop before Joel goes on a rant and starts crying. <laughs> no, uh, right. Joel, what's your ratio? How many students are you responsible? Now it's 500 to one, but, but that's because, now it is. but that's because we've now been able to hire another counselor. But it was 700. It was yeah. 700 yeah, plus to one. Yeah. But, you know, I, where I'm going on that is like, you know, thinking about how do we change this, right? I mean, some of that is institutional uh, based, presidents and boards. 
some of that is legislative. I mean, at the public, you know, right? I mean, we, we've got to figure out ways to, to better fund um, what's happening at the K-12 level so that there is more preparation and access and a college-going culture. That changes the whole conversation earlier. One of the things that your, your good friend and my kind of friend, just kidding, Danny easily always says <laughs> is whenever, whenever, whenever you add a step, whenever you add a twist, the, 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 the gap grows. The people who have support figure it out, and the people who don't is just in, is wallowing in, in confusion, perhaps. Uh, and and ED is one of those things. I think the, the, the simplification when, when Brandon, when you talk about blowing things up, I, I hope, I think you're part of it. You're talking about is simplification yeah. in, in all forms from the beginning to the end of the process. Yeah, absolutely. Let's have, let's have one deadline. Let's have one, yeah. one deadline and you decide if you're going to apply regular or early, you, if you're going to have early decision, you can have it then. And, um, bam, done. Right. I, I will get into some, some solutions in a second. Joel, is there, what, are there some other things? I know there's, there's stuff that, that there's just so much to this. Um, I'm, I'm, th- I was curious at one point and Rick, this might occur with, to, to, to Georgia tech. And that is because you don't have early decision. Do you feel like schools who choose not to do ED are sometimes disadvantaged um, because other schools have it? I would say, yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. I mean, you know, I've been fortunate here that we, I don't think have really played the game too much, you know, in terms right. of holding back admits or trying to like kind of uh, work the, the yield game. I mean, I was just right. talking to somebody yesterday about how, for instance, coming off the wait list, when we offer kids off the wait list an offer, it's, it, we count those as admits. Whereas a lot of other schools will say, so do you want this offer? Do you have to accept our offer? That's not an admit. We're not going to explain the game then. Of like, yeah, totally. For, for yield purposes. Gotcha. That's, yeah. So where we, yes, I think it like, for instance, thinking about Georgia Tech, a school that has EA, not ED, we would see students who I think if they knew that we were, that it was like, you know, at, at the ED level where it was going to be a binding situation, a surefire thing, they look at the numbers and see that their admit rate could theoretically be higher if they apply under that plan. Um, then, you know, I think they would, we would probably win a little bit more about, against some of those schools if you took ED off the table or if we played the ED game. Uh, but, you know, that hasn't been what we've done. And, and frankly, a lot of the schools, not all, but a lot of them with ED couple, uh, the assurance of that place with a higher ranking. And so, you know, you're kind of fighting uh, on two fronts, you know, in that hey, regard. I have, I have a kudos for Georgia tech, by the way, these are numbers you obviously know, but um, I was, I was on common data set because I didn't, I didn't know what it was until I read Jeff's book. And then I got in a two day wormhole on, on common, like literally a two day wormhole on common data set. Mm-hmm. And so, so you all, you know, early action, you had a 19% admit rate. I think it was maybe 19, 20. And then, and then your, your, but your total admit rate was 20%. So, so you, your admit rate ended up being almost exactly the same at the early time versus regular decision. And in my note, I wrote kudos, your transfer rate, your transfer admission rate was also really high, Rick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Transfer. 27% transfer rate. Yeah. One thing that's cool. I know this isn't the topic of today's conversation, but just for for listeners, I mean, it's important for kids to remember, like, you know, right now 
uh, last year for our graduates, 30% of them uh, didn't start at Georgia Tech, you know? And I think the pandemic is definitely going to escalate transfer numbers. Uh, and I think that schools in the past who haven't been as transfer friendly from a pure business standpoint are going to be getting into the game more. I also think more terms are going to open. And so you're going to see more schools that never had a January class start enrolling a spring class. These are all good things, actually, uh, that, that I think the pandemic right. is bringing about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any other ways colleges benefit? Um, you know, I have in my notes, I've got more devoted and loyal students, more future alumni dollars, a higher yield rate, which leads to higher college rankings. Um, maybe smaller liberal arts colleges that need, need to encourage applications so they remain selective and, and better bond ratings, which I don't think it plays that much into the bond ratings. But once I got into all that, that looks complicated. So. Well, you can also put whatever allocated dollars you have for your uh, admission office. Like we spend a good bit of money on yield, right? So after we put these admission offers out there, because we do not have mm-hmm. ED, every single admit is in play. Nobody's bound to come, right? And so, and and for good reason, as you were saying earlier, comparing financial aid packages and different schedules of releasing decisions. Um, we've got a work yield on theoretically every admit. And that's not true for a school that has ED because they're bound. True. And so whether it be the quality of the pieces you send them, whether it be inviting them to come to yield programs, whether, whatever it is, you're only working with a, you're working with a smaller percentage. Uh, and therefore you can allocate more dollars per student. And that of money always, right, is going to have an effect. So, uh, South Carolina, or I always do this. Uh, University of Southern California, they have fifty f- over fifty yield events because they 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 don't they don't have they have an early action, not mm-hmm. an early decision. Mm-hmm. But then they work it hard, I, like you guys are doing after after you've admitted X number of students. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's just a workflow thing in general, right? I mean, it spreads out the reading um, so that you know they're not reading all at once. That they, I mean, with kind of limited staff and increased application numbers, it's just a kind of a, a, a workflow thing, too. So right. I have a question. So, Brennan, you know, you're a high school counselor, just like we are. I'm curious what the conversations look like um, with students in your office regarding ED. Like, how do you approach it with students? You know, I, I really come from, I mean, hopefully, you know, we, we, kind of headed off of the past. I mean, we're really having conversations with students early about um, what they're what they're looking for and not going into this as kind of where can I get in, right? It's not mm-hmm. it, having the why conversation rather than the where conversation uh, right. to begin things. Um, and then and then coming back to that and saying like, okay, um, you, you want to apply to this, this school early decision. Um, how does that how does that align with what you, the experience you want to have in college? And um, are you just trying to kind of get into the next tier up of school or um, you know, what, what's the, what's the intention um, in this? And um, you know, we definitely have those conversations with, with families and students who are, who are kind of working the strategy and say, you know, um, I really like these two schools, you know, which one do I have a better shot at getting in early decision? Um, and you know, they're, they're real, they're, they're, um, they're real kind of challenges for them to weed through. 
I mean, it's hard to get around that. It's hard. It's hard to just turn that off and say, I mean, we we can we can think about things in a in a little more pure sense in some way in this in this you know this this fantasy world. But but families are practical, and they want to know they want to know an answer to that. And and when it comes time, I mean, we have to advise them to the best of our ability in that regard as well. And I'm sure I'm sure that's something you've got to you've got to kind of reckon with each day or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think some of it's just around the education around it, right? Because if you take those numbers at face value, you know, where at some, especially smaller art schools, the admit rate is double um, for early decision what it is for regular, right? Um, but families look at that and, and they just take that at face value and you need to unpack kind of, okay, what percent of that is athletes, um, what, what percent of that is, um, students are coming through QuestBridge or Posse or another, um, sending program. Um, you know, and so, um, by the time you kind of work it down to that individual student and how, how their, um, potential acceptance rate is, it, it, it might not be that significant a difference. Okay. Yeah. The advantages aren't as vast as they seem potentially. Right. Chad, uh, oh, sorry. Chris, that's the other thing about uh, common data sets is, you know, you're, you know, you can look at gender splits. You can look at all kinds of stuff in those uh, common data right. sets, right? And so you're talking to a student and you're just like, let's start with <laughs> what we know. Uh, you know, this is the type of class they've enrolled in the past. This is likely the type of uh, class that they're going to look to in the future. You are a male. This is now the number that, that we're working with, right? Uh, Rick, you, you know what I get? I get. So you're telling me there's a chance. Uh, uh, wow, that's 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 what I still get. No matter no matter how much I show these numbers, oh, man, I, I still think I it's 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 hard. But I but do. I I think numbers really really play play a big role in that. That's it's 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 difficult. I, early decision. I I just I don't see. I don't know. Here's a solution. Ready? Joel and I have one. Or do you want to share it, Joel? Yeah. Idea. Concept. All right. So, you know, Chris and I, we talked trying to prepare for this episode. And, you know, we don't want to just leave it as, oh, wow, early decision. Eh, You know, we want to try and come up with something productive to, to maybe replace this. So here was our idea. See what you guys think. ED exists only for Pell-eligible students. That's it. Get the diverse backgrounds you want. Meet full, unmet need. They promise to go. You promise to pay. Done. Everyone else is regular decision. It's bold, Joel. I will tell you that that if in our world, yours and mine, um, I would say 98 to 99% of our families can't write a check for college. Exactly. So they can't do ED. I'm talking. I'm not talking forty percent. I'm saying ninety nine, ninety eight, and 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 there's probably only about five percent who are going to get full need covered because of their socioeconomic status. Mm-hmm. So we're in a really small window. Yeah. But yeah, what, I was gonna, what do you guys think about that solution? Oh, well, I was going to say. So under that model, if you're just doing ED for Pell eligible students, are you also um, guaranteeing one hundred percent need? Yes. Mm. And because otherwise it's, it doesn't really have an effect. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and meet, uh, get diverse backgrounds you want and meet full oh, unmet, unmet need. need. Yep. 
So they promise to go, but you're promised to pay. Yeah, I mean, it's a great, yeah, it's a great idea, but, you know, I, well, no, no. I mean, yeah, heads are going to spin, but this is the Get Schooled podcast. Right. right. <laughs> so money, was not, money, money was no, uh, no influence. Right. Right. Yeah. Hey, great in that regard. I'm looking at it from the student perspective only. Of course. Mm-hmm. Right. Of course. Like, because we're not, I mean, we're not crazy, but well, just. And, <laughs> we know that that's not, I mean, look, again, it's easy for me to say maybe because I'm not at a, at a school that, that employs ED, but look at UVA. I mean, you, you, you uh, cited them in your kind of lead up on what the evolution had been minus this year when they went back to ED or went to ED, I think, for maybe the first time. I don't know if they've ever had it before, but they have right. it now, no. right? Why did they do that? Well, you know, maybe it's not my place to necessarily speculate everything, but I would guess it's because they were getting picked off by, right? And they're trying to figure out uh, a little bit more of, you know, who can they count on? Let's get this portion of the class built. Let's allocate the aid that we have to finalize the class. And let's win a little bit against some of these other schools that have been, you know, taking some of our, um, you know, more desirable students of various kinds uh, earlier than we've been able to kind of capture them in the in the last few years. Selfish entities. And that's coming from Jeff Salingo's book. But colleges are selfish entities. I'm not using selfish in like, you know, being a jerk or anything like that, but, but self-interest. Yeah. And, and that's probably what Virginia had to do. They had to look out for their own self-interest. It didn't matter the students. It's like, you got to protect yourself, I suppose. Right. I mean, meanwhile, you know, meanwhile, Princeton, Princeton stepped back from ED for this year. Mm-hmm. So it'd be interesting mm-hmm. to know, know how that looks. Right. You know, I mean, again, at the end of the day, like, you know, we all work for someone, right? Um, yes. we, we all have a boss and, um, you know, mine happens to be the, you know, the lead singer of the pentagonals. Uh, but, uh, no, uh, <laughs> no. I, I mean, but you know, it's, it's comes down to institutional, uh, institutional priorities and institutional mission. Who do you want to be and what type of programs and, and what type of, uh, timeline do you need to put in place to achieve that? So yeah, selfless or selfish entity is, is potentially fair. Um, but then again, you know, like, like what's Coca-Cola trying to accomplish as a company? Uh, how is that any different necessarily than who Georgia Tech's trying to be? We, we are all organizations. We all have missions. Uh, we're going to come up with the appropriate strategies to accomplish those missions. So I mean, attack the mission uh, and right. people that create that mission and fulfill that mission rather than, you know, uh, I mean, and, and, and address the issue with, with that set. It's a tough one because it goes way up. Oh yeah. It, it goes way, way up. And even, even beyond the school and, and, and donors, uh, but it goes way, way up. Mm-hmm. What about, what about two types of application outside of rolling rolling is its own thing schools cool with that just you apply you get in you know two weeks later um early action regular decision that's it nothing binding you you get to see who's interested because they're applying early uh, and I, I know the introduction of the common app makes it easy to just apply the million places but um just two just two types outside of rolling early action regular decision thoughts on that that's what we have uh, early action, regular decision. And, um, 
you know, what I like about that is, again, nobody's bound, right? We only want the kids to pick us that really want to be here. We want you to be able to see all your financial choices. We want you to be able to uh, visit um, wherever you need to go that you get in and make a good choice and, and then choose us, right? Um, so I love it. Um, I do think if everybody went that direction, you would see even bigger wait lists. Because right, okay. the side effect of that would be bigger wait lists. Because those EV schools, lots of them, are smaller places and they, they've got to protect their size, right? I mean, unless they can work the supply thing, but like they can only put out so many uh, decisions without that commitment. So they would put out fewer decisions and then they would go to their wait list earlier. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, they would, they would yeah. start watching deposits earlier and, and you even saw this uh, last year in the pandemic and this is going to be a trend you saw a lot more schools going early april to their wait list right and that's going to continue and i think if you went only ead then you would definitely see bigger wait lists and earlier activity on that wait list not necessarily a bad thing it's just that would be the effect yeah i'm also not sure i mean it, it does save the kind of uh comparing packages um issue and and the financial piece but I'm not sure it totally addresses the equity piece. I mean, you still, unless you put some kind of cap on the number of students, uh, the percentage of the class, they can take early action. Otherwise, you know, again, the kids with uh, better counseling and more access and, and that kind of thing will um, apply early. And if they're taking a larger percentage of their class early, they're, they're benefited. So we need so Joel more and, school counselors. Yep. So if Joel, Brennan, and I, you're right, Joel, Joel, Brennan, and I all gang up on Rick and we say one deadline, this is the college deadline. How does that, how does that tear your world up? Hmm. Well, <laughs> okay. We could do it. We could do it, but let's just, okay. So we, 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 uh, let's just take Georgia Tech as an example. We just had our uh, regular decision deadline. We have 45,300 total applications. We know kids, <laughs> uh, procrastination, not going to change, right? You know, I think of our 45,000 applications, we looked at this, uh, 35,000 were submitted in the day of or the day before our, our three deadlines. All of my students applied on January 2nd, I think, Rick. Sorry about that. Yeah. So that's, that would be the problem, right? And, and maybe this is sort of like, it's kind of like the window that UC system has in November, right? If, if let's just say everybody were to go to one, the reason UC has to do it so early is because they're going to, they have to elongate that season to get these decisions out. Sure. Um, so that could be a challenge. That and, could be a challenge. And, I, and I'm just thinking, you, Chris, you know how nuts December one is. Because a lot of our regional colleges, that's an early. Yeah, that impacts us too. You're probably right. Can you imagine like every senior in your in your school that's applying to college? Yeah, good point. They all wait till the last two days, and then, oh, okay. Well, not to mention that's not a good plan, Chris. Inevitably, inevitably, the 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 platform online platform crashes. Crashes all this, right? Me. Oh yeah, no doubt. How about this one? So uh, do you know how they give out uh, numbers to the New York Marathon? There's, there's a lot of four it. ways. Yeah. Well, all of those, actually. So I think I – so one is lottery, right? 
so just spin the wheel, right? Um, and, and a portion are given out that way. Um, a portion are like local in that you have to have run a certain number of other events in that in the New York boroughs during the course of that year, which means theoretically they're still sort of honoring their backyard. So some are, are done that way. It can also be philanthropic. Yeah. So back to <laughs> schools, our businesses, um, some are, yep, they're, they're flat paid. It's just that unlike what we're doing now, which is under the veil of lots of other language, we're just straight yeah. up, man. Just straight pay, up, just admit it. Price, man. Just, straight up, just straight up admit it. <laughs> and, and, then the, and then the last one is quote merit. You, you qualify, right? Because you run another race in a, in a, in X or below whatever that threshold is. Right. And so you've kind of got four different ways to quote, make a class, but it's a lot more, um, theoretically equitable, I guess you could say. Um, and you know, everybody on some level has a, a shot to enter in one of those different ways. That's, that's really interesting. I know, Brendan, you made the statement earlier. I know that NACAC is, is putting a committee together to, to reinvent, reimagine, blow up college admissions as, as at least a, a thought and a proposal. And I didn't know the way you said it. I thought maybe you're on that committee, but uh, I'm not. But it's you know, it's um, I am. I have been part of the Hack the Gates, um, kind of radically reimagining college admissions mm-hmm. group, and um, at Making Caring Common, we're doing a lot in our college admission initiative around kind of how do we how do we really level the playing field, and how do we how do we recenter this this process um, so that it it reinforces you know what really matters. You know, I think that's a good segue to talk about your book, if you yeah. if you don't mind taking a few minutes to talk about it, because, you know, if we talk about a lot of issues in college counseling, college admissions, uh, writing writing a book that could be a very nice guide for families is a way to to get around not having enough counselors and 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 just to provide support across the country. And I'm sure that was kind of the impetus in, in wanting to write this. Aside from somebody saying, "Hey, we should write a book," but uh, but we would love to. We'd love to talk about that book. Um, Joel and I both own it. Mine's the only one signed. Um, Stop it, Seriously. Rick. Um, oh, sorry, that was out loud. Um, <laughs> tell us a bit about the book and and how you both decided to write it. Brendan, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on it. We well, Rick and I have both kind of done a lot of writing in 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 this space and and have somewhat similar voices, but different perspectives. And um, it just seemed like a, a good partnership as we as we kind of uh, considered this. But really what we wanted to do it was um, bring, down the, bring down the blood pressure around this um, experience and, and, and make it more, like, like I said earlier, less, less transactional and, and more of a kind of purposeful, meaningful search that focuses on family, however you, however you want to define family, right? Like, you know, how do you, how do you use this as a, as a chance, as a kind of a, um, a, a rite of passage or a moment of reflection and kind of thought about, you know, okay, what, what do I want in my future and, and how am I going to get there in an intentional way? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, have the I think privilege to work on a college campus, and uh, whether you talk to somebody who does or you talk to anybody I think that has gone to college and you ask them, you know, hey, what do you think about college? Um, man, they they light up usually, 
yeah. with, with, with conversations and stories about friends and what they learned. And, you know, they just talk about how, you know, it changed their life and this and that. But then you say, well, what do you think about college admission? <laughs> and people get real <laughs> tight, man. And they get right. fired up the way you, you were earlier about all kinds of things, whether it be testing, whether it be inequities, whether it be the amount of money that it costs to go. And what we wanted to do was um, try to bring this together and say, look, college admission experience is just a precursor to college. There are ways that college admission can be a lot like college. It can be about growth. It can be about, you know, kind of learning more about yourself. It can be about seeing a bigger picture. It can be about having a, uh, you know, looking for diverse opinions instead of just taking the rankings or just taking, you know, like all the things you learn in college, you can learn a lot of that going well through the college admission experience. And then the other thing is, you know, even at a place like Georgia Tech, where we graduate more people in five years than we do in four, uh, it's going to be a limited experience, right? It's going to be four or five years and it's done, but family is forever. And there's an opportunity to grow together and, and kind of be more unified that's going to carry you and teach you things uh, that, that are going to have like lifelong implications. And that it can be exciting. And that was what we were trying to bring out in the book. I think you did. I mean, I, I I love the anecdotes. I love I love the fact that you you give people things to to do and think about. It's not just a, a text to just put in your head and stop. You know, the little activities at the end, um, things to talk about. I, I I wholeheartedly agree that that the college admission experience begins with self exploration, and and it should begin with self exploration. Um, that's that's my belief. That's how I try to operate as well to the best of my abilities. Um, well, I think, I, I think it goes back to what Brennan said earlier, the why rather than the where. Um, mm-hmm. Right. And and maybe the who, <laughs> you know, yeah. who are you? Yeah, I mean, and, and just too often the students who I talk to just around the country, I mean, they it's it, 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 they approach it more as like something they have to get through, right? Or something they have to endure. Um, and um, it it shouldn't be that. I mean, this really is about opportunity and it's about, um, you know, we, we love this kind of the quote, like, you know, you don't have to do this, you get to do this. Right. And so, um, looking at, you know, like you have control over this and, and there's, yeah, there's a lot you don't control in the college admission experience, but you have control over a lot. And so, um, really trying to focus families in on that is I think really important. Well, I will just say it for the record. If you are a student listening or you're a parent listening, The Truth About College Admission, A Family Guide to Getting In and Staying Together by Brennan Bernard and Rick Clark. Top-notch book. It's, it's, is it doing well? You guys selling a lot of these? Yeah, we just yeah. – I think you are, right? Probably. We just got an uh, a email from our editor today actually saying um, how amazingly the sales are going. And, and, and that was kind of – because we're we are about to come out stay tuned because we're coming out with a um a kind of a parallel workbook um because we found a lot of schools are and parent groups and things like that are using this as kind of like their college counseling curriculum and um so they're you know and so this so this this is going to be like a set of exercises and activities that kind of parallel the different chapters of the book um for people to really dig in and and to practice what they're reading and uh, well, Chris, you'll be pleased to know that we have some references and activities around the common data set in there. 
Yeah, I'll be doing those. He's been all Baptist for like the past two weeks. Oh, I'm throwing my kids in school. Like, you you guys need to do some research. I have have a school where there's a lot of gifted students, and they totally love to get into that data and research and dig into that. All right, I yeah, I'll 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 be I'll be getting that for sure. Uh, But again, I I it comes highly recommended by the by the crew here at Get Schooled. The whole crew, all, all, all two of us. Yep. Uh, I, 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 I want to ask one last thing, because, okay. um, and then we'll let you guys go. And you guys have been so generous with your time today. So um, thanks for for that. So you know, Chris and I, we're we're on our our last kids. Um, we both have seniors this year. Um, mm-hmm. And we've asked this of guests before, um, and, and not even so much for the seniors, but even just thinking about students who are about to begin this journey or they're in the middle of it and knowing the the wonderful fun that we've had with, with COVID-19 the past 10 months. Um, is, is there anything that you guys would want to tell our listeners, students, parents especially, um, any piece of advice that, that you'd want to leave them with? Uh, you know, go ahead, Brennan. Go ahead. I was just, I was just going to say gratitude. Um, I think that's so important. I mean, like, like I was just saying, you know, we, you, you get to do this, you don't have to do this, but also, um, that, uh, students should be yeah grateful for the opportunity, but also grateful for the people who are supporting them. If they have people supporting them and, um, and I, I think, um, it's just really important to keep coming back to that. Um, and realize um, what an opportunity it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess um, just kind of since that came on the heels of asking about the book, one thing that we've realized and we should have put in there when we wrote the, the book was um, co-authoring a book has a lot of parallels to, to I think, parents and, and students going through the college admission experience because, you know, there were some things that I wanted uh, to include in there, you know, and Brendan was like, no, like I, I just don't either. I don't agree with that or I don't really think that that fits. Um, and then we we didn't just shut down like we kept talking through that. And similarly, you know, he might have an idea on something and he kind of gave some ground here and there. And I think in a lot of ways, you know, that's just so much about what this is for, for students. And then for, in our case, to see it get published right and do well is just so gratifying, similar to a family, which I get again, kind of the privilege to see every year walking on campus after I'm sure all that went into finally arriving that day and they are together, whether that was their first choice or their fifth choice, whether, you know, who knows, like all the bumps that might have come along, but they are inevitably smiling, excited, life is good. And, you know, they're, they're together, right? And and doing it together and, and kind of, I guess, loving each other well along the way is, Honestly, I think that's success, right? Not a certain bumper sticker. And and, and the good it. news is I didn't once have to send Rick to his room. <laughs> well, Joel and I, you know, I know what it's like to have a partner who can be difficult at times. <laughs> and so does he. And so does he. <laughs> well, um, thanks again, gentlemen. Uh, really, really appreciate it. We, we we made the listeners sit for about 50 minutes without a break. We'll take yeah, it is a mega sode. Hey, and, and we will don't forget to send us your t-shirt sizes. 
Will do. Yeah, you send us t-shirt sizes, we'll get you hooked up. There we will go. we will take a break and be right back with our four lenses. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reason Ford. Chris, this has been an episode for the history books, and I think this is a topic that we'll come back to at some point in the future. Um, like we always do, let's look through our usual four lenses. Um, so we're going to look at ED from the four lenses. This is probably one of our most important four lenses segments. Uh, Chris, get us started. Sure, Joel. If you are an independent or school counselor, I, I real I, I feel really dumb for not knowing about this till I recently discovered the common data set. And now that we just talked about it 10 times, I'm going to talk about it one more. But this is what school counselors and independents can do. Go to common data set, Google it, common data set, blank, any college name you want to choose. And, and it's deeply buried into the websites uh, that I have found. But if you Google it, it comes right up. And it's basically required data or agreed upon data where you can get numbers. I looked up Vanderbilt's to learn that 53.5% of their entire freshman class was admitted through ED. They publish a 9.1% admit rate, but look deeper. Of the 37,310 applications, only 4,321 were ED. With 859 admitted students during the ED round, that leaves 2,543 acceptances left for 32,000. 989 applications with a grand total of a 7.7% acceptance rate at regular decision versus a 19.9% acceptance rate at early decision. This is a wormhole I personally never came out of. My advice is understanding the numbers in order to support your students and give a good advice yourself. If you're at a university, I would challenge you to think about a few things. One, what is your institution's true motivation for early decision? Is it, in your opinion, a student-friendly policy? Is it necessary for you to reach your enrollment goals? If so, I would encourage you to make sure the policies and procedures related to ED are clear to students and parents on your website. If it's not necessary, then I would challenge you to think about more student-friendly, non-binding options for enrollment. Also, if it's possible to have conversations with those uh, in in decision-making positions such as Board of Regents, Presidents, VPs of Enrollment regarding ED, please consider doing so. Thanks. If you're a parent, first and foremost, take the pressure off your senior. Don't act like – so here's the thing. Don't act like their top choice will make you so proud of them. That's a message you might not think they hear, but they do, loud and clear. There's pressure from society possibly from their classmates, depending where they go to school, definitely from the timelines colleges have put in place. All that pressure is there. I have a senior right now in my house we just mentioned, and it's super hard not to put my two cents in all the time, but I've tried to learn to be a resource rather than somebody with just unsolicited opinions. Uh, when it comes to ED, uh, listen to Joel's advice to students too. Joel? If you're a student, broken record time. Be a smart consumer. Know what ED is, what the requirements are, 
and have a discussion with your family about whether or not ED is the right path for you. I use this analogy a lot with students, unfortunately, but I do believe it's true. Uh, sometimes it seems like applying ED is like pushing all of your poker chips in the middle of the table. Um, you may win big and get into that dream school, but you may also limit yourself by then not being able to consider other great college choices. Uh, moreover, you need to make sure your financial ducks are in order prior to beginning the admissions process. Um, to me, and again, this is one guy's opinion, unless you're 150% certain that applying to a school ED is the right path, and unless you are 150% certain that you want to attend the school that admits you under ED, I would just strongly urge you to think carefully before applying ED. There are hundreds of great colleges out there that would be happy to have you as a student and who will give you a great education and you don't have to apply ED to go there. Joel, can I add one more thing for students? Absolutely. All right, look, you can't do your ED application and then just not do anything else after that. So you can't you can't just sit back after doing your ED. If you don't get in, and if you look at the numbers, more people don't get in than do, you'll end up in panic mode. Um, if you choose ED, don't put all your eggs in one basket, as they say. Absolutely. Uh, you know, get work on your other apps. If you have to cancel them because you got in, high fives all around. But but don't put your ED app in and just sit there. Good Thanks, advice. Joel. No problem. This has been good stuff. Let's take a quick break and finish up this episode. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford, where we will finish up today with Chris's words of wisdom. Chris, what do you have for us for this episode? All right. Early decision makes you want to hurry, to rush to a decision. Come to think of it, the name is even terrible. Early decision. Aren't, aren't we taught that, that any decision-making process in our lives should be thought out, fully considered, weighing the pros and cons of each possible outcome? Then the allegedly smartest colleges in America come along and suggest that it's super smart to make this one decision very quickly, early even. This episode, Word of Wisdom, is patience. If you found your dream school because it's your dream school, then you've gone through the decision-making process for many years, perhaps. If it's October 25th and you're deciding which college would give you the best chance of their early rounds, that's not patient. Unless you bind yourself to a school, you have until May 1st to decide where to go. You get to see all financial aid and all scholarship offers from all the schools you were admitted to, and then go through a decision-making process. Patience, my friends. Patience. Wise words, Mr. Reeves. Wise words. And remember, you can always listen to Get Schooled on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and now Amazon. You can follow us on Twitter at, at GetSchooled3 and on the internet at www.askmrreeves.com slash GetSchooled. All right, Joel. Man crush time. Tell us about our next episode. So we probably have one of the most well-known people that works full-time for the National Association for College Admission Counseling. He is NACAC's Director of Educational Content and Policy, but in the business, he is known as the NACAC wonk. David Hawkins will be our guest. Uh, with the new Biden administration and new leadership at the Department of Education, 
We'll talk about where he sees the world of college admissions now, where it's going, and frankly, any other topics that he wants to talk about. When you're David Hawkins, we'll let you talk about anything. Um, he has the floor, has as the they floor. say. That's, that's, uh, that's next time on Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. We'll see you then. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> I, I love it. Time to open a can. We're just you're, two. You're, we're just two public school counselors fighting the man. <laughs>